All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, I ask that you would turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, the words to the passage in Philippians or passage in the Bible that we're going to be looking at are provided in your worship bulletin that hopefully you received when you arrived. Uh, if you need one, they're available over on the table uh, over there. But Philippians 4, uh, verses 14 to 23, these are actually the last, uh, or this is the last in our series that we've been going through, I think since uh, sometime in April or May, uh, through Paul's letter to the Church of Philippi. And uh, it has been a, a sweet time and hopefully seeing the sufficiency of Christ in all things and over all things and how we can live in this sufficiency. Uh, four verses 14 to 23 today. I want to ask a question, though, as we get started here. That question is, did you have the same reaction to the saying it is better to give than to receive that I did when I first heard that saying. I don't know how old I was. I was eight, nine, ten years old, and I uh, was very carefully constructing my Christmas list for the year. Uh, now, I was the kind of kid who I got uh, my family, we, we got in the mail those Sears or JCPenney like holiday catalogs. Uh, for those of you that only know a world of Amazon and Internet, uh, that's how we did Christmas shopping back in the day. But anyway, I would get those and I'd carefully walk through page by page and dog ear the pages that particularly interested me. Or I saw gifts that, hey, this one looks particularly good or this one looks particularly appealing to me. And so I would make my way through that and then I'd bring all the pages together and I'd, I'd curate it all and, and bring it all into a list uh, that ended up being like, I mean, longer than a CBS receipt. If you know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and so I would give that to parents and grandparents and the mailman and the ice cream truck driver and anybody else that I thought might be inclined to buy me a gift. Um, but anyway, uh, I remember one time I was eight, 19 years old and somebody, I, can't, I honestly can't remember who it was. Somebody looked me in the eye and said, you know, Stephen, it's better to give than it is to receive. And I just looked at him and I said, no, it isn't. I don't, I don't know what you were talking about right now. Um, and and uh, I, I, that, was, that was such an incredibly foreign concept to me. I, uh, they, they said they, they started telling me about all the warm fuzzies you get, you know, at seeing the delight of another in the gift and receiving it. And I said, oh, OK, yeah, cool. Well, it sounds like you and I are a good match. You like to give. I like to receive. So here's my list. And let's, you know, come together at Christmas and I'll enjoy all the joys of opening all my gifts. And you can enjoy all the warm fuzzies of watching me open those gifts. Uh, but that was my attitude towards it was better to give than to receive. Now, I, I joke about that, but the truth of the matter is, having aged a little more, uh, I have realized that I was right. It is better to give than to receive, or it is better to receive than it is to give. Uh, I'm just kidding. It, it's better to give than to receive. But what if the truth of the matter is, is that in giving, we actually receive? Not just warm fuzzies, but more than we Imagine, what if as a church, in our generosity together, particularly in our generosity in giving of ourselves corporately as a church towards the work of other churches and towards the work of the gospel and making Jesus Christ known amongst places where he is not yet known, what if in giving towards that, we receive, we receive far more than we would imagine? Well, that's what Paul shows us in Philippians 4, 14. 
I invite you to read it with me as I uh, read it silently as I read it aloud. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This morning we're going to see in Philippians 4 that in our giving, in our generosity as a church, we grow and we grow in the glory of God. In our generosity as a church, we grow in our faith. And this growth comes through seeing the good towards truth. Then in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying, of having a lot or the challenge of having a little, I know that Christ is greater than my money and Christ will see me through. And so Paul, having received this gift from the church at Philippi, I think probably sound dismissive of their gift or not wanting to sound ungrateful. He says to them in verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So Paul says to the church, I am thankful for the gift you sent. I have received it. He says to them, entered into partnership with them. They were there since the Lord began his good work in them. He's thankful. He is grateful. Now, it's possible that you could read this or that you might see this and say something like, aha, this is how I understand you Christians. This is what it's about. It's all some it's all some racket. It's a fancy way that you launder money or you think of Paul kind of like a televangelist. Right. It's all it's ultimately what I'm getting at is thinking that it's all about the money. Ultimately, this is what Paul's getting at. You think Paul might be this televangelist with his carefully coiffed hair, fancy suits and spray on tan and bright, bright, shiny teeth that are just scarily bright and and disturbingly so. And you think that this is what it's about. Paul is trying to do what we see so many on late night TV doing even today, where he's trying to buy fancy vacation homes and trying to buy buy new jets all for the purpose of doing the Lord's work. And you think Paul is trying to take advantage of them. Or you might just think that is what ultimately Christianity is like everything else. It's all about the money. Oh, no. Paul's writing this from prison. He's writing this from a place where he has truly learned that money is actually not at all of significant importance. 
You see, what Paul shows us here is that there is actually something that is far greater than money. The money actually plays second fiddle to what he's getting at, and that is their growth as they give. You see in verse 17, as we transition on from the giving of the church in verses 14 to 16, now we see the growth that is happening in the church in their giving. Paul says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift. Even parentheses here, not that Paul's writing it. He's saying, I'm in prison. I may not get out of prison for the faith. I'm not getting your money and I'm not rolling in cash saying, look at me, what vacation house am I going to buy? No, I have received your gift and it is going to be used for advancing the gospel. But he's saying to them, I'm not seeking the gift. Look at verse 17. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So Paul turns it back around now. The giving of the church in Philippi, their corporate generosity together in supporting Paul's work in making disciples and in planting churches, that corporate generosity is now boomeranging boomeranging back towards them in growth of their own souls in the faith. And this is what we have to understand here, is that as our giving spurs our growth as a church family, And now, if last week was more like our own hearts towards money, understand more. I'm talking our giving corporately, our giving as a church, as we think about budgets and as we think about what are the things that we are going to give ourselves to investing in the advance of the gospel, even at even at even if that means not investing in things for for the sake of our own church, for the sake of our own well-being. Paul would hold these up as a means of greater growth in our lives and in our souls. Paul says, I seek, the gift, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You see, what happens is when, 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 when our hearts, our hands are taken off of our money and in which we, we give ourselves to the purposes of the kingdom of God, what we're doing is that generosity that is at work in us has been born of the work of God that, that he has begun in us where he is showing us his sufficiency in all things. And shows he's showing us his sufficiency in all things. And he's taking our hands off of our money and showing us how to use this in order that others might hear of his sufficiency. Others might hear of his glory. Others might hear of the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ through the giving of the church. Paul is showing us that there is a growth that is found that is greater than what we can buy. So the money is playing second fiddle here, and the greater issue here is the growth that Paul sees at work in the church and that he is rejoicing in. So he says in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. See, he's not seeking more. He's not saying, hey, you sowed that seed of faith. Good job. Now you just need to sow a second seed of faith. You need to give just a little more. He's saying, no, I'm well supplied. I got the gifts. So let's talk about spiritual matters now. He says, your gift, your giving towards me out of the generosity of your heart. And the last part of verse 18, see how he describes it. He describes it as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So he's describing here essentially a burnt offering. You might be familiar with burnt offerings. You might not. It's an offering from the Old Testament. You might think of the Old Testament back like before Jesus and kind of when everything was weird and there were all these different offerings that were made and 
It's like, okay, one day a week you do this offering, and one time a month you do this offering, once a year you do this offering, and all these different things, all this different puzzle of how the people of God interact with God and what does it all mean? I'm glad we're on this side, but we just and we're okay. And and so you might see that and say, okay, what, what what is Paul getting at using that imagery, using that language? Fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Well, I think it'd be helpful to consider the very first burnt offering that we see in the Bible. We'll let the train pass. It'd be helpful to consider the very first burnt offering that we see in the Bible. And it's way back in Genesis chapter uh, 7 and 8. I think actually Genesis chapter 8. Okay, So in Genesis chapter 7 and 8, God uh, uh, raises up Noah and raises up his family and they build the ark. And God floods the earth in judgment upon the earth for its wickedness, for its sin, for its rebellion against him. But he preserves Noah and he preserves Noah's family on the ark. And then eventually as the waters go down, the people and the animals, they all leave the ark. They all begin to repopulate the earth. And in this, after all this has been done, Noah makes a burnt offering to the Lord. And it's said in, in, uh, in, in Genesis, I think it's 821, the aroma that the Lord smelled, smelled was pleasing to him. So what Noah was doing in that original burnt offering, in a way we understand offerings in, 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 in our lives or offerings that we see in the Old Testament, is it's holding up something that previously we held of value. In this case, it was an animal that would be sacrificed. It's holding something up that previously we held of value and saying, God, you are of greater value to me than this thing. And going even further and giving up this thing that perhaps was or is my sustenance, perhaps was or is the manner by which I am strengthened, the manner by which I hope to make it by, I am saying that my trust rests in you above all else. And so saying to the church at Philippi, he's saying, in this rich gift you gave to me, the gift reveals hearts that are that, that the aroma of them is pleasing to God. Because your hearts trust in the Lord. And because your hearts desire that the message of the gospel, the message that I, Paul, am in prison for, the message of new life that is available in Jesus and in Jesus alone, will be made known to people who have not yet heard it. Now, I used to struggle heart of God to us. So as strangely, our offerings in our life, and I don't mean just our offerings financial, but, but our attitudes, our offerings, our, our willingness to give up one thing in order for to, 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 to treasure Christ in order to make much of him, as those offerings show that our hearts are truly restful in God and truly trusting in God, and turned around the offering of his own son, the willing offer of Jesus, the son of God, of his life in our place, reveals the heart of God to us. So Paul says, I don't seek the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received the gift. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. If you're with us and you're still figuring out this Christianity thing, maybe you think all that we talk about is money. It's 
just been where Paul has been the last two weeks since we've been in Philippians. I assure you next week we won't be in money. Next week we're doing a one-week time in Obadiah where we're going to see injustice and crying out, where is God in the midst of everything going on? So just a little preview there. But as we look at this and you start to wonder, well, what, what's the message overall of Christianity or how do I know God specifically? We don't know God through any offerings that we make. We know God through the offering that he has made of his son and in the work that he does in our hearts, in the work that he does in our souls and bringing us to himself as he gives us new birth. He gives us new life where our hearts are this, this pleasant, pleasing aroma to him. But for the very first time, we, we truly trust him as our faith is in Jesus Christ alone for atonement for our sins. So that's the work that he does. And so I urge you, if you do not yet know God through Christ, believe on Christ, come to him and live. Come to him and find. So Paul talks of these, uh, these sacrifices. And then going on, as we go from giving to growth to now glory, in verse 19, he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what Paul holds up for the church, he says, okay, you offering, you've made this sacrifice, you have sent this gift, but what the gift has revealed is the, the, the grace that is at work in your hearts. And I want you to know that as this grace that, I, that God is at work in your hearts with, as it is happening, he says, I want you to know that you will be sustained by nothing less than the very glory of God. Now, glory is an interesting term. We see it in verses 19 and 20. 19, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Glory is a term that we kind of think we know what it means, but we also don't really understand what it means sometimes. The glory of God, what majestic, powerful, great. What, 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 what about that? Well, I think the glory of God is understood by the people of God as they see the way in which God specifically cares for them. So we best see the glory of God in his provision for us as we see the glory of his work directly in our lives. So he didn't, he doesn't invite us as his church to know that he is glorious. He invites us to see that he is glorious and to experience his glory. And so here's what I mean. We're Paul who's imprisoned for the faith. We're the church at Philippi who was facing persecution for the faith. The church at Philippi was facing uh, division in the church body. The church at Philippi was facing some financial struggles. The church at Philippi was facing all sorts of hardship in their lives. And yet in this offering that Paul has received, he is seeing that those hardships that he's addressed throughout the letter, they are not derailing the church's faith in, in him. Rather, they are actually uh, showing the church's faith in God. And so what Paul is saying here is all of the issues that you, church at Philippi, are facing, all of the hardships that you are enduring, all of the trials that you are encountering, whether it be persecution, financial difficulty, division or discord in the body or anything else, 
These things are not little hindrances that might keep your eyes from, from being set upon the Lord, but they are actually the means by which the Lord reveals his glory to you. Because in your division, he will bring unity. In your poverty, he will care for you with plenty. Not necessarily financial plenty, but he will bring plenty in giving you fully himself. And Jesus Christ is your sustaining hope, your sustaining refuge, and your sustaining means of sustenance, your, your strength as you go day by day. As you struggle with unity, Christ is the one who unites you. As you struggle with persecution, Christ is the one who has defeated death once and for all and who intercedes for you before the throne of God, the Father, even now. As you struggle with loneliness, Christ is the one who is closer than a brother. As you struggle with with, um, faith that you feel as if you don't have enough faith to make it through the next day, through the next week, through the next month. As you struggle with that, Christ is the one who his faith or his work in you is sustaining you day by day. For our hope does not rest in the strength of our faith. Our hope rests in the object of our faith, and that is Jesus Christ. Think of it like this. If if two people both have have a sickness, and they're both given a medicine to take for that sickness that is proven to work, the only problem is one of them is not quite sure that it will work, and the other is entirely confident that this medicine will work. But say they both take it, which one is healed? They both are because the thing that healed them was the work of the medicine, not the strength of their faith. My friend, if you are struggling in trusting the Lord today, see his glory as he sustains you in the midst of that trust in whatever you may be facing. You may have just sent your kids off to college in the midst of a pandemic, and that terrifies you. Or maybe you're really glad to have them out of the house. I don't know. But whatever it may be, life hits us relentlessly with all sorts of things that are designed and aimed to take our hearts off of our Lord and to say, woe is me, I am going to sink in these waters. But Paul saying to us in verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God, God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen says, I will sustain you. And the wonder of that sustaining mercy is this. When he says every need, you say, okay, he's talking about money. Is that God's going to meet every life need? No, he says that every need here in understanding the totality of what Paul has been presenting throughout the book of Philippians is that God meets every spiritual need you have in Christ. You might have uncertainty about what you are going to face going forward. And God might not meet that need as you think he should. But he will meet that need in showing you your Savior all the more clearly. And your Savior will be all the more intimately close to you as you rely upon him, as you lean upon him in faith. So may Christ be our strength. May our needs be supplied according to his riches and glory. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.
Paul's goal here is not to leave them saying, hey, it's going to be okay. Of course, he is saying that. But his goal here is to leave them a Savior that is so glorious. Not because they observe him as glorious, but because they experience him as glorious. So the invitation that we face as a church when we consider our own generosity, our own attitudes and hearts towards God, is not to walk by and see to see that we think Christ is glorious. You think about a movie, you know, you see a preview and say, oh, that movie looks good. Then you might see it, you might not. But you just kind of go keep going about your business. The invitation here is to enter into the cinema of God's glory as you see and behold his mercy, his grace, his love, his might, his compassion, his kindness, his tenderness, his his justice, his, his sustaining strength, his intercession for you before the Father, to be enveloped by it before you, not passing by and, and observing, but to enter in and to rely upon it and to see it and to taste it and to know that he is good. So the way we enter into that glory and to see it is walking backwards and taking our hands off that which might be an offering that we need to make, whatever that might be. You know what your heart trusts in. You know where your heart seeks refuge. You know where you have a hard time letting go of something and trusting in God. whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in something with your child or something with your parent. Philippians 4 calls us to step back and to trust the Lord above all else. And in stepping back, we will grow and we will seek glory. Maybe the last place we see glory is in life together. Paul says in concluding, Verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This might just come as just, okay, goodbye words. All right, goodbye. How do I wrap up the letter? Greet one another. Remember a church that was facing some discord, facing some division. Paul says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. We who are here greet you. All those of Caesar's household greet you. Those who are Romans who have become Christians, they greet you. Philippi was a heavily Roman city. Likely many Roman background believers there. Paul says, greet one another in the Lord. Greet one another in the Lord because this is evidence of God's grace to you. It's an evidence of his glory as he has brought you together in the faith. It's an evidence that you are not walking alone, walking alone, but the body of Christ, full of Christ, is the means by which Christ cares for you. So greet one another. Maybe the fragrant offering today is charitableness, kindness, a warm greeting, comforting word. Words that simply seek to reflect 
on the goodness of God to point your brother or sister towards Christ. Paul concludes verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of the Lord be with your spirit. May the Lord care for you in his grace. It is better to give than to receive. Yet in the way God works in the lives of his people, he gives to us. He gives to us that which is far greater than we could ever give to him. And as we seek to give for the sake of gospel work, his his grace is the means by which he sustains us. We can't outgive God. But what we find is that as we make these fragrant offerings, these sacrifices of hearts that treasure and trust in God above anything else, we find that we uniquely experience the glory in the grace of God in ways in which we wouldn't otherwise. You want to know God? Lay it all down and come to him. You want to know God's grace in the midst of the challenge you are facing? Lay it all down and come to him. The hope that you have, dear Christian, is that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is always with you. May he be our strength. May he be our refuge. May he be our hope. Let's pray. Lord God, may your grace strengthen our spirits. May your grace Sustain our hearts. May your grace be our hope. May we see that as your people, we are living in grace. We are cared. We are comforted in grace. Make us a people who the fuel that we run on is the grace of Christ that which we extend to others in our financial generosity and our attitudes and our greetings. May that all be grace. And as we give, let us know that we will continue to be refueled with more and more grace. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Name of Christ in whom we hope. Amen.